0: I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Technology innovation is great, but it doesn't mean anything if we can't bring our impactful products to life, which means we have to build them. And unfortunately, that's easier said than done, especially for startups and evolving companies that need a reliable option for low volume builds. That's where we come in. Edison is your turnkey manufacturing partner, specializing in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you need a trusted manufacturing partner, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com, or feel free to reach out to me directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com, or by visiting my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Now, to this week's episode. Today's guest is Carrie Renault. Carrie is CEO and Managing Director for Will and Scoot Around North America, a full-service personal mobility management company providing assistive device rentals to traveling individuals at their point of destination at hotels, convention centers, airports, hospitals, cruise ships, and large-scale events across North America and at ports worldwide. Gary is responsible for corporate oversight and all operations in North America. And (laughs) previously was director of an 1100- um, Acre Canadian Zoo, and was owner president of a large scale entertainment production company specializing in stadium concert production and artist management. And I, th- I throw in the, the last two because we did talk second half of this interview about um, company building and what he's learned going from these different industries. Right, so he has three distinct careers essentially in three different areas. Really interesting getting his thoughts on how he's learned and taken things from each of these different stages of his career, and then also approached new areas and learned to figure out where to innovate and where to take the status quo and all, all of these things. But before that, we talked a lot about Will, we talked about Scooter, on. So we're talking mobility here, but in a different sense than what I, I typically cover here. So future mobility focused on safe, sustainable, effective, accessible transportation, and that really is movement of goods and people. This product and service offering from will and Scooter around is a critical piece of that and I'm, I'm really glad to have Carrie on the podcast here talking about personal mobility at different stages of this um, this transportation journey All right, so airports for example planes are great but only if you can actually get to the airport and find a way to effectively navigate to the correct place to your gate and get on the plane and do it in a manner that's um, that works and then when you get to where you're going you know you'll have some solution in place that works for you even if you have some type of disability or for some reason cannot uh, fr- freely move around the, the airport and there's other applications as we touch about here so i won't go any further in in the intro really fun discussion glad we got to cover this aspect of mobility here please enjoy this conversation with carrie renault Today, I'm joined by Kerry Renault. Kerry, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, looking forward to this discussion. This is a different aspect of mobility than I've covered thus far. Very important piece. So I guess we're setting the stage, future mobility, what I define kind of as the things I focus on here is safe, sustainable, effective, accessible movement of goods and people. That covers a mm-hmm. lot of lot of different mm-hmm. things, and I guess I kind of kicking myself in in hindsight, looking at how long it's taken me to cover the space that that Will is in. But I think this is definitely a piece of the a piece of the puzzle here that I'm excited to dive into. So, would you mind setting the stage a bit and introducing yourself and the work that you do? Sure, doing yeah, at Will, yeah,
1: by all means, yeah. My name is uh, as you've introduced me. I'm Kerry Renault. I'm the CEO for both Will North America and Scootaround, actually, which is a rental. Uh, the rental of mobility device subsidiary of Will, also in North America. So I oversee our operations here in North America. Um, You know, our collective vision is really to support a means for uh, anyone requiring mobility assistance in traveling to find short distances and to maintain that objective. Um, Really, this would facilitate, you know, a seamless journey from home to hospital, to airport, to hotel, to convention center, to resort ideally allowing that individual to travel to any destination with the confidence of knowing uh, their mobility transportation needs can be accommodated. So that's really our, mm-hmm. you know, our overall collective vision as, as a, as a company. And, and really that represents our vision um, for what we want to accommodate in, in that
0: particular and, space. So yeah, that makes, that makes sense. It's kind of the, the overall guiding North star for the company. Can we get more, a bit more kind of granular and unpack? So what does, what does this look like in kind of the, the day-to-day kind of solutions and, and products that have unfolded here? Sure.
1: Well, I really started with Scooter Around, and Scooteround was really born here in Winnipeg, Canada, where I'm located at the Canadian corporate headquarters. Essentially the epitome of, a, of an entrepreneurial vision by an individual who recognized um, because her father was in a scooter and relied on that scooter for all of his mobility requirements, um identified that that uh, they were they were a very mobile family they traveled and and in one particular instance traveled to i believe it was to hawaii traveled with her father and once they got they had just you know they made an assumption this was in the late 90s they made an assumption that that her father would be able to be accommodated with you know with a scooter or, or a, a means of mobility there in hawaii once they got there and at that time that simply wasn't the case so being you know, the, an entrepreneur and and recognizing that uh, this was something that her father was going to have to be relying on to enjoy his vacation. Um, Lee, the founder, went out and bought, bought a, a device from a local provider and then ended up selling it back to him at the end of their, their particular vacation. And an idea was born. I mean, Lee said, okay, you know, if my father requires this kind of assistance, then people worldwide must require this on a rental basis. So really, that's where Scootaround started. They 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 started as a company representing those individual traveling requirements, providing devices for those travelers at their point of destination. Mm-hmm. Uh so that was kind of the origins. And Scootaround really from there has developed over mm-hmm. a 20-plus year period to accommodate all kinds of B2B contractual relationships now at all the big convention centers, uh, primarily in the US. Um Infrastructure and support personnel, trucks, and the ability to provide these services now at major points of destination, primarily in the United States, um, all of the locations you would expect: Florida, Las Vegas, um, uh, uh, Chicago, um, uh, Washington DC, etc. So, so really, that's the the rental component of of, of the business as it developed and then also um, from there branched out into providing repair and service for traveling passengers traveling with their own equipment uh, when the airlines were damaging that equipment in transit so scooter then began to provide a repair and service on a contractual basis to all the major airlines in north america so kind of had now you know that was another piece of this overall puzzle that that was now accommodated by by Scootaround as a company. And then more recently in 2018, Will, as a manufacturer and really the, the technology driver of, of our enterprise, um, acquired Scootaround. And so now the the vision now incorporated the ability to incorporate your own product, your own product design, with what Will has developed—a state-of-the-art, um, you know, very forward-thinking, imaginative approach to to engineering design in the mobility space, um, as well as you know, much-needed new and fresh technology, as well as you know, providing rental accommodations and repair and service accommodations for that entire industry—and obviously, then we move from being very either Japanese or North American-centric to worldwide. We became a, a global entity now looking at providing these kinds of services right across right across the globe. And so out of that, you know, we'll speak about it a little later, I'm assuming, but out of that has, has come to, you know, develop some of the really new and exciting accommodations like the introduction of, you know, autonomous technology and some of the other things that we're working on um, to really enhance, you know, that vision uh, for our marketplace and for those and for those individuals that require this this kind of this kind of service.
0: Oh, yeah, thanks, thanks, guys. It's uh, very helpful to get kind of the yeah the, the the linear progression here. And I mean, yeah, I can definitely see how from you mentioned kind of the, the entrepreneurial discovery to develop a solution, then realize there's other areas you can get into and kind of growing. And yeah. you know, it seems like you're kind of a full. Full end-to-end solution provider, which yeah seems seems to make sense here. And I guess what I, I don't even necessarily have a good enough grasp on the industry to ask a, a super tight question here. But like, what what's something that someone like like myself, who's not in this personal mobility scooter area, what what might mean you not realize about what's important and what goes into serving the needs of this market in a productive and kind of a fully serviced way?
1: Well, I think it's important to recognize that it that it's it's not just focused on you know a niche part of the marketplace that that is you know the traditional disability marketplace. I mean, really, from a mobility standpoint, you're really talking about a broader scale of providing transportation solutions, you know over a short mile distance for any individual that that requires, you know, mobility assistance. And, you know, that can take the form as you can appreciate, you know, in a multitude of different ways, um, certainly within, with an aging demographic um, and, and with these, you know, facilities like airports and, and sport facilities and event facilities and so on developing and at the scale that they are um the 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 requirement to move people effectively and efficiently throughout these you know these spaces is become is is going to become more and more and more profound as 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 uh, as the population continues to age but it's not just the senior aspect of the population it can really apply to anybody that 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 needs that that accommodation you know albeit as a result of a a long-term or a short-term accident or, or a profound, you know, what it would, is often the case a profound disability. Hmm. And really, I mean, you want to be able, you want to be able to accommodate everyone. And, and so, you know, from the, from the airlines perspective, I think and airports perspective, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, this, this aging population wants to maintain uh, you know a lifestyle that that they're used to, and and they're looking for that to be accommodated in any way necessary, so they can continue to to enjoy that and continue in this case continue to travel. And so, you know, solutions like we're offering are, in my mind, are are ways to to accommodate that 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 demand in a in a more progressive and defined way than perhaps than than what's
0: being offered currently but, yeah so so taking that airport use case what what is what are the hard parts there so I, I imagine right you, you we want to have someone who comes in and I mean I think about myself right who I, I can yeah I can walk around the airport but it's it's hard enough to find to get to the airport either find parking or get out of some type of, of ride and then make my way through the different stops of baggage and through security, and it's usually crowded and a lot of different things, Make the way to the gate through a tight area onto a plane, off the plane on the other side and reverse the process. But like, what for someone who needs the mobility support here, what are the hard parts of that airport journey?
1: Well, realistically, you know, the individuals that require that, you know, are, are profoundly increasing. And, and if you talk to anybody in the industry, that's 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 being recognized. That the number of people requesting what is a very traditional approach to mobility within the airport, and that generally means a an attendant pushing you in a manual wheelchair, you know that demand exponentially is is blowing up all over the world. So. And the ability to be able to continue to facilitate that type of a, that type of a service, albeit with you know labor labor the, the kinds of labor requirements that they go along with that, and just even from a practical standpoint, you know are becoming more and more difficult, quite obviously. And so mm-hmm. the, and, and, and the other part of that is that you know you that segment of the population doesn't necessarily want, you know somebody, um, you know, uh, assisting them in in that regard. You know there there there's a, a large selection of the population that's looking for independence. They want to maintain independence. They want to be able to go where they want to go and get there efficiently and effectively. And and they don't necessarily want to be reliant on on somebody else to to accommodate that, especially if they have to wait or you know there's other complexities that go along with that service. So. So our so our concept is to provide a an autonomous solution that effectively it's it's a it's a, a means of transportation for those individuals to be accommodated in our in our chairs um, program the ability to program those chairs to take them to their gate you know from an, an original point of origin where the chairs are staged take them to their gate. They exit at their gate. Now they've been accommodated over a certain, you know, length of of distance. Um, They're now at their gate. That that chair then turns around and comes back automatically to its original point of origin. So, you know, what you've done is you've eliminated the need for labor assistance in this regard, obviously, with with technology. And, and, Mm -hmm. And you've created an efficient way and kind of a cool way for an automated way for that passenger to be able to get to where they need to get to and really without having to, you know, have, have the anxiety of not knowing, you know, where they're going or how to get there or that this, our program has been all, you know, pre-mapped so the, the chair follows a designated route uh, to get you to the gate that you, you pre-designated. Um, you know, on upon upon embarking, you know, on that on that journey with the chair. Yeah,
0: and can we can we unpack the, the benefits of autonomy a bit more there? So the my my gut when you mentioned this is that you know the I would think someone wants to drive themselves if they want independence, but you mentioned something of the anxiety and the difficulty of maneuvering, mm-hmm. which I could certainly see that. I, I also imagine there's some subset of the population who maybe isn't capable or isn't familiar with, and it's, it's a challenge to actually mechanically operate the, a human manually driven um, chair. And then I, I assume kind of an obvious benefit of the autonomy is that that chair then isn't stuck at the destination, but it's able to make its way back for wherever it's, it's needed next. But can, can you explain like where of the, of those kind of three situations, the, yeah, navigating the mechanical operation and the ability to return or to get to the next destination without requiring a human in the loop or maybe a fourth one too. like, what, what, are, what's the most important factor of the autonomy here?
1: Well, I think, yeah, I think, hmm. I think the autonomy, ultimately it's, it's a combination of all of those things. I think all of those things go into the, into, into the benefits that, that this is, this is, this is providing to that, to what is now, you know, that existing, that existing service. and. And there's an economic factor to this too, quite obviously. I mean, the cost, the escalating cost of being able to provide that manual wheelchair service with, with you know, an individual attendant, um, you know, with every single chair is is obviously increasing exponent, exponentially with the demand, and it's becoming more and more difficult to accommodate that. So I think, I think in in your question, I think it's a combination of all those. But I, I'll pick up on another point that you made that I think is an important one and that's that that still being able to provide independence for the individual that you know maybe isn't necessarily ready to go to their gate immediately and wants to take in the amenities you know within the airport or has a you know a longer period of time that they need to occupy while they're there in the airport and as opposed to relying on a, you know, on a manual service that pushes you to your gate and then you're, you're basically stuck there, you know, waiting for whatever period of time until your flight is accommodated. We, we have, we've also developed what we call our, our, our manual drive service, which essentially is, for the most part, the same style of unit, but it allows the passenger to operate it independently. And, and just recently, Savannah Airport there in the U.S., Uh, adopted this program as opposed to the autonomous program. I expect they'll graduate to an an adjunct autonomous program ultimately. But initially, they incorporated a series of units that uh, the airport is actually providing to passengers that request them. Um, And those those units allow the passengers to circumvent the airport um, as you know, as, as, as needed or as desired, it enables them to be able to go to the restaurants or do what they want to do with, with full access to mobility assistance. So so I think ultimately we've recognized it's a combination of all of these things in order to address, you know, all of the different types of, of, of passenger requirements that, that, that you indicated in your question. So um, I think that's the way we're that's the way we're addressing that.
0: I think that last point um, about the the, the manual drive and the the independence and the ability to go to other parts in the airport already touches a bit on the answer here, I think. But I want to ask anyways to see if there's other aspects. But so, why is this the right form factor, right? So if if we abstract out the, the requirements of providing a means, ideally without additional human labor or a kind of un while minimizing cost to the airport, an ability to move people with disability where they want to go at at the minimum to their gate, but ideally beyond that, like what, why, why is this personal power chair that the right form factor for, for providing that service? I think it's going to evolve.
1: You know, I think right now it's, it's, it's brand new, you know, as a, as a, as a type of technology and a, and, a and, and from a design standpoint I think just like the rest of the industry you know over the years as as this demand is recognized and and as you know passengers consumers individuals start to identify with this kind of a service and, and note that this service is available you're going to obviously get all kinds of, of additional, requests for innovation and ideas and, 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 um, means for, for this, this type of service to become more and more and more efficient. A good example would be right now, you know, we offer this on a, on a one level service. So, so the service exists on one level of the airport currently, but pretty quickly it was recognized that given the complexity of moving throughout the airport, um, that can involve, in some cases, multiple levels, multiple different levels, of, uh, floors of the airport. So realistically, if you're going to offer an end-to-end solution, ultimately, then you're going to have to deal with elevators and and things like that. So so the next iteration, and we've already um, we've already worked with the elevator companies to perfect this. We haven't implemented it yet, but the next iteration has to accommodate the ability for the chair autonomously to interact with the elevator, move that passenger up to another level, accommodate, you know, the, the operation of the elevator accordingly, and then have the chair continue on its journey. So, Mm. you know, that's just one example of, of, as the use case develops, you know, over the, over the years to come of the kinds of, you know, additional requirements that are going to be identified as we start to roll this out. But, the first step is really to look at, you know, what I believe is is a is a system of of transportation and accommodation within the facilities right now that tends to be rather antiquated, I think, and 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 has existed, you know, now for a long time, and I believe is kind of at a at a point where, um, for a whole bunch of reasons, uh, it really needs to be either augmented replaced or redefined and so i think we're at the we're at the the beginning of of that of that evolution uh with our you know with our our product our product design and you know pretty excited about where you know where that may go you know moving moving forward um I think we can be naive to believe that this is where it'll begin and end <laughs> this is where it begins
0: and what, what does the business case look like for an, an airport right so i mean there, there's certainly an aspect of this is the right thing to do to provide a great service for the people who need it for the product or the, the the service that you're providing right and there's a philanthropic philanthropic approach which maybe that's enough and should should be enough but i also imagine there's there's more to this equation and that, mm-hmm. so, like, well, how how do you think about kind of the impact financially for airports? Is this, is, I don't know, is this something that they're going to be increase demand because they provide the service? Can they charge for this or for other services? Are they preventing them from risks of people going to other tra- travel alternatives? Or really, where do you see the real financial value for airports in this space?
1: Yeah, yeah, great question, and 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 one that you know you've really got three stakeholders involved here. We're talking specifically right now about airports. I mean, obviously we have this, this model, you know, provides, you know, allows itself we've started to implement it in hospitals and other venues, but specific to airports, you've really got three stakeholders right now. You have the airport authority, which essentially is government, government controlled. You have the airlines themselves. And then you have the service providers; these are the wheelchair push providers. So you've got three different stakeholders, and ultimately, we've been trying, we've been trying to work with one or all of them. Uh, in the case of Winnipeg, it was actually the airport authority that stepped up, and I think they really addressed it initially. Anyways, so on under the initial contract, financially, they really looked at it more from a um, uh, a customer service value. Like they really put a value to being, in their case, the first in Canada, but also in providing an enhanced customer service to their guests within the airport. And I think that ultimately that was their value proposition. Um, You know, and and as a result, they were willing to, it was a service they were willing to pay for. Um, From the airline's perspective, they are paying, you know, the PRM services, as they're called, these these service providers to provide that wheelchair push service so the wheelchair push service uh then has to be convinced that there's an economic value to them and and you know we see the economic value in a number of different ways um you know throughput uh turnover um reduced labor costs um reduced reduced level of workers compensation claims amongst amongst their own you know their own uh, personnel so so i think at that level we can create a, an economic value but that's a much more difficult one i think to convince everyone of. ultimately from my perspective i wish i my, i'm hopeful that 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 there will be a recognition on the part of everyone that this is not only a necessity and provides a, a a value to individuals traveling, but also will will accommodate you know probably thousands and thousands of potential passengers that won't travel otherwise. Mm-hmm. That'll be more inclined to travel if they know with confidence that their travel won't be interrupted. You know by the need for this this kind of a service and this service you know not not existing for them i mean the difficulties of the current services are all over the all over the media so you know it's not hard to, to see that that could create a a difficulty if if uh, you know if if you were needing it and traveling so yeah so i think you know it's 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 an it's an evolution and then lastly and ultimately i think you know the risk management side of things you know the idea of somebody, you know, empowering somebody with a, an electric device and enabling, enabling them, in the case of the manual drive system, to be able to circumvent, a, you know, a property as they see fit, um, you know, as, as something that hasn't been done before, you know, I think in the, in the minds of risk management, you know, that risk has to be mitigated. And they have to be convinced that this isn't going to create, you know, um, uh, you know, an enhanced liability concern for, mm-hmm. for the facilities themselves. So, you know, that's something we've been working really hard with them to, uh, to identify and prove that, um, uh, that this really isn't, isn't, you know, a, an enhanced r- risk situation that for the most part, people are pretty responsible in, 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 you know, they're, they're not using it as a formula one racetrack. They're, they're using it more practically. As a practical means of transportation to get to where they need to go, and we've actually we've shown this and evidenced this in our in our relationships uh, to rental customers in the large uh, convention facilities where we've been operating for a very long time with little or no incident of, of difficulty. Individuals using our devices in you know the Las Vegas Convention Center, the Orlando Convention Center, very large facilities you know, with little or no, no challenges, no issues.
0: Hmm. Yeah. No, we Probably already touched on a piece of this question, but you, you mentioned you know, trust and confidence in this service being available kind of as an enabler for the people who would utilize this in, in the airport. And I think about not to paint with too too broad of a brush, but I, I think about the people in my own life who, you know, w- would require this type of service to fly and to go around an airport. And at least on the surface, the idea of getting into an autonomous chair, and kind of magically moving mm-hmm. through the airport would be scared. I mean, based on the way I've seen past technical technology introductions, like after experiencing it, I think, I think like my grandma, for example, like she's pretty quick to pick up on things, but she's always scared the first time she, she tries something. Yeah. How do you go about sure? Yeah. How do you, how do you go about making that pitch or making sure that people feel confident the first time they're stepping into this technology that they don't understand?
1: Yeah. I think signage only goes so far yeah I mean, you're right. I mean, you know, you can, you can put these up and put signage up and it, it looks like it's really user-friendly and there's some users that are totally used to that and they're, you know, they're used to an app or they're used to other means of technology and they'd be very comfortable just to read the instructions and away they go. Well, others, as you, as you suggest, would be way too intimidated. So we've, we've actually, in the case of Winnipeg, we've put a staff person, we worked it out with the airport where one of our we we actually hired somebody on behalf of the airport to help to help with the onboarding and orientation of the program and she's she's at physically at the airport at the service there within defined regular hours to help and assist with those types of types of uh, passengers that that really need you know a comfort level in order to be able to utilize the service so, so that isn't, that isn't out of the realm of possibility. I mean, we certainly are, are open, you know, we recognize that this is an evolving technology and, and that there's an education piece that goes along with it, that we're going to have to, um, you know, facilitate. So that's, that. and then the other thing I've seen in Winnipeg, which is kind of cool is, you know, the airlines themselves, the airlines person, personnel are kind of excited about about this service. And so they're inclined, you know, to make sure that uh, they're familiar with the service and they're now starting to work with their passengers, you know, once they check them in, work with their passengers to make sure they're comfortable with the service. And and even in some cases, even, you know, uh, walk along with them or accommodate them through security or whatever's needed. So, so I think yeah you're right. I, I I think you know there there's definitely a segment of the population that's going to need some you know some some help in in feeling comfortable with the service. And then my assumption would be once they use it and they're comfortable, then they. It's interesting, you know, Brent. I was in uh, Japan uh, some time ago, and um, this has been introduced in the in both Anita and Narita airports for some time now, and. In Edith's case, that was the first place that it was ever implemented. And I saw 25 units in the domestic terminal being utilized, you know, while I was there, every single one of them were out and moving about, uh, going from, you know, from, from post security to the, to their designated gates. And it looked like it had already always been there. You know, it just looked like it was already integrated into the infrastructure. Well, that was really cool to see because you, you to me that kind of represented the future where it just looks natural you know it just looks like a you know a a, a, a technology that 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 has always been there and fits right in and makes sense
0: and uh, <clears throat> how tough was the, is the technical challenge here so it's so like i right have covered a ton of on-road autonomy applications and some off-road and construction and and mining and stuff and yeah warehouse robotics and material handling and things. And like one of the things that comes to mind, right, is like there's a safe space of you have pedestrians or some other type of um, potential object encroaching on the the space around the vehicle. And it's easy enough to just stop and then find another path path and get around, at least from my experience in airports with adjacent type technology and stuff, I, I imagine that sometimes nearby pedestrians aren't the most friendly and give as much space as (laughs) as an engineer would hope when they're designing the system like how how do you how how tight has have you had to define this thing and like what what, uh how well does this thing operate while going through like crowds and things like that
1: yeah that's that's an evolving process too the engineers have been working on the um, the go-around technology like right now it speaks to you you know, and, 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 and it'll wait till you move out of the way. It'll, it'll ask you politely hmm. to, and, and for the most part, you know, people, I, I think there's a recognition that, you know, somebody that's in that chair needs it. And for the most part, people accommodate it. Um, so we haven't run into, you know, but airports are, you're right. Airports are very, very busy places. And the more and more and more this, this, this is, this service is accommodated, the more of that is going to be a, a challenge and so, the engineers are are working on that particular issue. I think, in my mind, ultimately, I think you you create a designated path. You know, I I think the future is, you know, when 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 the architects really take a look at these facilities, you know, from, you know from, from a from a distance. I think ultimately they'll they'll determine that, you know. Probably a designated path is the way to go for those that require mobility assistance and it'll follow, um, you know, very much like the trains and the trams. It'll follow a designated route that's separately identified from the rest of the, you know, either the, the, the moving footpaths the moving that already exist or even just the regular thoroughfares. So I think, you know, I'm... I, I think you know. I don't know the practicality of that. Um, to me, it's it's designating a you know a path within within the airports, but you know, really one step at a time. Yeah, I, I think.
0: You know. and how about so? We've spent the, the majority of the time here talking about autonomy applications in airports. Are there any other technologies or use cases and application areas that you you want to highlight where there's really exciting things being done?
1: Well, I mentioned hospitals. Hospitals, I think um, this is a really, I think, compelling um, opportunity for hospitals. I think you know they're looking at it and saying, "Boy, the ability to you know not have uh, you know our nurses who are already you know stressed and 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 <laughs> utilized um, beyond beyond their means currently." I mean to. To, to, to enable uh, you know, that patient to be able to move to their pa- patient care area autonomously is really attractive without, without having to utilize a hospital staff specifically to do that. Um, so the hospital use case I think is really compelling and we've experimented a little bit with it in, in Japan. There is, there is an application in one of the hospitals there in Tokyo um, that is operating very successfully um, I think there's, there's a really good use case for this in, in North
0: America. And, and, and if, if I, and I'm not in, an expert by any means in the, in this field, my, my wife's a nurse, so I'm sure she'd appreciate what you said about <laughs> them being, uh, <laughs> overworked and utilized. But, uh, but my, if I think like, I, I believe there's already robotic applications at, you know, cer- certain areas for movement that doesn't involve people, right? So, so like the, the big the leap or the innovation here is applying this technology into a form factor that allows movement of individuals themselves. Is is that correct?
1: That's correct. Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, in in the Mayo Clinic example, and your wife may be familiar with this, there was multiple robotic applications of which we were one, but we were the only one that were focused on, as you suggest, moving patients. But, you know, cleaning cleaning, uh, robotic cleaning devices, um, um, uh, robotic, robotic hospital operating room applications, multiple robotic applications. So really not something that, that hospitals are unfamiliar with, you know, so it's not, maybe it's not as big, a, a leap of faith necessarily. It's just more a matter of, you know, how do we really figure this out? So it's working really efficiently and effectively
0: yeah cool and if you don't mind kind of a bit of a left turn here for a couple of questions and then we'll we'll come back to the center for uh for rounding things out but one of the things that's that's really interesting to me is so one and one of my core beliefs is that you know technology innovation is a critical piece of making a safer more sustainable more effective more accessible transportation future but it's just one piece of the pop of the pie the ability to find applications like what we're talking about here and actually deploy the technology and actually develop and run businesses and organizations that bring that technology to the world and provide the services and products that make an impact is, is critical. So your, your situation I think is, is interesting here and I, I appreciate um, get your, your thoughts a bit So, one that the transition in 2018, when Will makes the acquisition of, of scoot can you describe like, how did you, how did you go into that? And what did you learn through that process about like, cause I mean, that's, that's a, not an uncommon result, right? If someone has success, they build up a business and then it becomes an acquisition target and now suddenly you're a division of a larger global entity of some sort. What, what did you learn about that? And what, what advice would you give to someone going through a transition like that?
1: Well, I think I think <clears throat> one of the important things in this particular case is that you had two founders, two companies with two founders that shared a very common vision. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and, and, you know, when when Sugi, who is the founder of Will, and I communicated, we really talked a lot about, um, you know, where the respective visions of the two companies, you know, were focused and airports, the whole airport development came up regularly. And I think, you know, it was recognized that if you could take the scoot around existing rental platform, and bring a really profound, innovative manufacturing entity together with that platform, you really had a really compelling, compelling equation, you know, for potentially for major disruption moving forward. <clears throat> and obviously from an investment standpoint, the investors recognize that and as a result will move to acquire, to acquire Scooter. It's not a, it's not an uncomplicated process. I mean, the, you know, we spent an exorbitant amount of time on the, the due diligence of identifying economically, culturally, all of those things, the viability of the, the two companies, you know, becoming one. So we spent a lot of time on that to ensure that, you know, this in fact was the right, the right option. And then even post 2018, here we are 2023, and we're still working through things like brand identification and unificate brand unification and <clears throat> um, integrating, um, you know, multiple cultures and different approaches, different approaches to business. You know, all of those things, you know, are, are part of an evolution of two companies coming together like this. And, um, and I would say even even now, you know, five years later, we're still we're still going through a lot of those those important milestones um, in order for us to really, um, you know, operate you know effectively and create the the level of disruption that that we identified were is possible, you know, with the combination of the two companies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there there's there's a number of complexities that that are involved in 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 two um, you know very distinct initially very distinct companies coming together like that but i think the important thing is at, at its very essence there was a shared vision for what we all wanted to accomplish and 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 that allows you that allows that kind of a vision to permeate throughout you know both companies as they come together and um you know lessen some of the anxiety that, that that's represented you know, um, as to, you know, when two companies, when, when one company is acquired by another,
0: how about <clears> the, <throat> the, the, cultural piece is, is really interesting to, to me. And I mean, yeah, sure. sure the, the regional culture is, is interesting, but I'm thinking as much about like, I, I, the smaller growing company often has an opportunity to build a, and I, I, I take, I mean, I'm, I'm leading a, a growing contract manufacturer right now. And like, we really appreciate the ability to define exactly what we want the culture to be through implicit and explicit in the way we talk about our values and the things that we do and what's important to us. And at least from my experience, a lot of times as you get into bigger organizations also, especially when you come in and you have, you know, it's great. You have the the vision and it sounds like values alignment at the top level, but it's, it's really easy Mm -hmm. to have a bunch of softening of edges and yeah, we're close here, but you know, over time you end up with, you know, values on the wall that are, the most vague things and like all, all the kind of the, the spunk and uniqueness of having that smaller culture mm-hmm. tends or can if you're not intentional kind of smooth out and become more van- vanilla how, how have you thought about that type of force or those types of forces and how to maintain mm-hmm. whatever it is that allowed scooter on to be so so successful
1: I think it'd be different if if Will was, you know, this, this large conglomerate that, that, you know, that, that already was really well established as a, as a, as a, as a large corporate, you know, established corporate entity, which is definitely not the case. I mean, Will started as a startup, just like, just like ScootAround did. And so they still, in a lot of cases, represent that startup mentality. So there's a lot of give and take on on the kinds of things that 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 you're that you've identified when it but you know that being said we're a much bigger company now so and and you know the objective is to move to ipo so there's there's a whole set of requirements that go along with that 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 speak to um you know economic stability and and all those kinds of things that 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 are part of you know becoming a more a more mature and better organized and um better managed uh, company overall so um we're doing our best to 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 try and deal with that and 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 build that you know build that kind of structure albeit you know being sensitive to how we all got here <laughs> in the first place
0: yeah <clears throat> and how about kind of last last question in this vein i think you, so, so your background is is fascinating and the, the things you were doing before scoot around right of know overseeing and directing zoo operations and being in the the entertainment and, and event space before that is there anything one thing you'd pick out from those experiences that you think you know really has served you well or a learning or a lessons or an experience that um, you, you've taken with you from the, the cool things that you were able to do before Screw around
1: yeah i mean the, the opportunity that was afforded me in actually in all three areas initially in the entertainment field then into the, into the zoo world and now more into, into what I'm, you know, what I've been doing for the last 18 years, the thing that's consistent about all of them is they represented a real personal challenge, you know, in looking at it, like, and, and, and I guess I was very, very young in, in the music business. And, and, in those days, you know, things like stadium productions and and artist management were, Uh, there was just no, there was no, you know, defined Bible that told you this is the way things get done. And so it was really, it was a tremendous learning exercise to, you know, for even from a business perspective, just learning how to deal with variables and, and circumstances that if you don't address them in the, in the, in the front end, um, it's probably too late, you know, like, I'll use a stadium production example. If you don't accommodate anything that could take place, um, you know, during that production ahead of time, uh, it's too late once the production is up and running. So I really learned how to, how to organize and, 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 and think about, you know, how things, how things needed to be built and put together, including, you know, all kinds of what if scenarios, <clears throat> and, and knowing what you were going to do in those circumstances before. So that was a great sort of learning exercise for sure. And then, and then I was approached by the zoo industry at a time when zoo facilities were going through a metamorphosis. They were moving from being municipal facilities to um, private public corporations. <clears throat> and they really had to do that because the municipalities couldn't afford to finance them at the levels they needed, you know, the, the whole evolution of animal, uh, conservancy and education, very expensive undertakings with larger scale landscapes for the animals and education programs and so on. So they really had to reinvent themselves. And so they actually looked outside of the industry and that's where I really came in. I wasn't a zoologist. I wasn't a biologist. You know, I brought what I hoped would be a more of a marketing and business acumen. Um, to where at that time this particular our facility here wanted to go, they wanted to evolve to that, just like many many other zoos were, to that uh, to that ability to be able to go outside of the municipality for funding and really create a vision for how you know a 200 acre facility could be utilized, you know, in a much more modern and progressive way than the way zoos had been traditionally in the past. So to me, that represented a, a huge personal challenge and one that I'm, you know, I was really proud to, to undertake and be part of. And then right at the transition, actually, I, I worked with the facility right up until that point of transition to that private-public um, um, new model, um, I was approached by the original founder of scooter and she described her business as moving from a what was really a research project to a legitimate business, uh, given her experience, and she was looking for some support. And once again, no experience within the industry came from completely outside of the industry. They had no product identification, had never required any of the any of the different types of devices that were represented in the industry. Didn't know anything about them, but looked at it as a you know. Once I recognized where this industry potentially needed to go and what was happening with evolving demographics and the like, I became really excited about the opportunity and that was 18 years ago. (laughs) So, so here we are today, you know, and now it continues, you know, it continues to evolve with all these exciting new things, just like, you know, I, I believed it would, you know, way back when, when I first joined. So yeah, so it's, it's personally, it's been, you know, it's been a phenomenal journey.
0: Yeah, and it feels like rare that you see a decade plus of experience in three discrete areas <laughs> that all seem seemingly went, went well. Maybe the one, one follow-up question to ask. So, I mean, especially your last two experiences, right? Coming into industries with, you mentioned, ideally some, some business marketing acumen, some experience, but you're coming into a new space, shaking up an existing industry or helping to create a new industry. How, how do you find that balance between introducing new ideas and changing the way that f- things are done while also realizing that there's good reason why some things have been done. Right. So like the, the way a given industry take, mm-hmm. ha- has been built up, like, I, I mean, I think in a, personally asking, right, like I'm coming into the contract manufacturing in a way that we're shaking things up. Right. But we have a bunch of questions and we look at things and we're like, well, that doesn't seem to make sense. But also at the same time there's a bunch of really competent people who over years and decades have built very successful businesses, around a certain set of conditions and so that that process of figuring out okay where are the things where the conditions have changed where we can exploit things versus where i would be in foolish and not understanding that things have been done in a good way like so any any advice on how to find that balance
1: wow (laughs) yeah that's that's great i mean boy that is that is so important i mean disruption for the sake of disruption just because you think it's a better idea often you know that I mean, the implications of that, even from a personnel standpoint, you know, um, you know, now suddenly you're impacting on, on, on motivation, original motivation or creating confusion, or, you know, you have to, you have to weigh all of that before, before, even if you think it's, it's a much better idea than the, the one exists. So, yeah, I think, oh boy, that's, that's, that's a, such a complicated question, but I think at the end of the day, I mean, and I feel like just because of the way you phrased the question, you're sensitive to the fact that you do have to respect, you know, the opinions of others and and, and experience. And often, you know, things haven't always been done just because that's, that, you know, was the way they do them. I mean, sometimes there's a very good reason and it may not always be obvious, you know, and so you really need to, and then, and then there's a way of getting, you know, if you've got new ideas, getting the people to, to buy into those ideas and appreciate the fact that, you know, even though change can be very scary in a lot of cases, you know, change can also be very, very exciting and they can, and, and they, they can feel comfortable that they're participating in that. Um, so I think it's a real, boy, it's a real balance and, uh, we still go, we're going through it. I mean, we, you know, we still experience that level of anxiety every time we try and you know implement something new or move away from you know existing processes that have been in place for a very long time um obviously you've got we've got new influences you know with with new ideas that that you know work so you you really have to i i think i think you have to be mindful of 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 uh you know of, of the way things the way things have been done in the past and the way things should be done in the future and make sure that you're maintaining a some sort of a balance as to how those those new ideas yeah. are implemented.
0: Yeah, it make, makes sense, and I think it's a good transition bringing it back or, around. So, that, well, a lot of fun here, Carrie. This is I really appreciate you you joining. I think, yeah, l- learned a lot, got introduced to uh, an okay. industry that I'm not that familiar with. And I mean, it sounds like you guys are doing really really exciting, me- meaningful work here in the in the mobility space with this, especially with this autonomous device. Did this as well as the the other work it's, it's exciting to hear what you're doing i guess i'd give you the um uh, and anything we missed here or what are you hoping someone who's listening to this takes away from the conversation
1: <laughs> i've pointed out a couple of times every time i've, I've posted anything on my you know that, that we're doing currently on my on my personal linkedin i i keep reinforcing that to me this is <laughs> you know you, you you try not to be you know too individual about it, but to me this is the future. I mean I, I believe we're on to something that that has a practical application today and I'm really hopeful that more and more and more airports and hospitals will take advantage of taking a real good look at this yet this and uh, within the current circumstances and won't dismiss it you know just just as something that's that that and I appreciate everybody has all kinds of priorities these days. <laughs> Um, but I, I think we offer a really practical and obvious solution to something that is that is an issue today and is going to continue to be a, a growing issue moving forward. So my hope is that more and more decision makers will look at this, you know, practically and say, hey, you know, why aren't why aren't we
0: looking yeah. at this? Cool. Well, yeah, that's that's a great place to leave it. Well, Carrie, thank, thank you again. Really appreciate it and wish the best of luck to you. Thanks, Brandon. Three, two, one. Well, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Carrie Renault. What stands out to me? Two big things. So one is similar similarity, right? So the technology, the, the application here, there's a lot of overlap. These are electric autonomous systems, just like a lot of the robotics systems that we're talking about, including on road automation, off road automation, material handling, all these types of things. So from a technology perspective and an application perspective, there is a good amount of overlap with the other technologies i've covered on the podcast so far but the other piece of it is this at least for my, myself and if you look back at what i've covered I mean, it took 170 some episodes before actually getting into this space and i think for a lot of others um this aspect of mobility is not commonly thought of or at least not thought of as much as it should be as we're thinking about the pursuit of again safe sustainable effective accessible transportation if it's going to be effective, it's going to be accessible. It needs to include everyone, right? Not just those individuals who can walk on their own freely and at certain length and written. So the ability to serve the needs of a large population that needs it is a critical piece in this. And great talking with Carrie about Will, about Scoot Around, about the work they're doing. And then plus, yeah, really fun for me on the back end, talking about just his entrepreneurial experience. I just dropped the water bottle there, but his entrepreneurial experiences and what he's learned along the journey and all of that. So thank you for listening as always. And there's more to come next week. Thank you for listening to the future of mobility podcast brought to you by Edison manufacturing and engineering. If you have a need for a trusted manufacturing partner for low volumes of highly complex products, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to shoot me a note directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or visit my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Edison specializes in build and assembly of highly complex products and annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you're making an impact in the mobility space, we'd love to help. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Future of Mobility podcast.